from deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Happy holidays and welcome to Gator Tales. I'm Adam Schick. As we've talked about throughout the fall, it's been a remarkable first season for Jim McElwain, taking the orange and blue on a wild ride to Atlanta, despite being picked to finish fifth in the SEC East way back in July. Great seasons are rewarded with trips to bowl games steeped in history, and the Gators will have that opportunity on New Year's Day when they take the field at the recently revamped Orlando Citrus Bowl to face Michigan. To get you set for the final game of the season, today you'll hear from defensive lineman Jordan Sherritt and FloridaGators.com senior writer Scott Carter. But first, we sat down with the voice of the Gators to chat about the Buffalo Wild Wings Citrus Bowl. And while it's taken on many names and locations over the years, Mick Hubert notes that Florida is quite familiar with this game. You know, the Gators uh, are making their sixth appearance in this bowl, Adam, and that ties with Georgia for the most appearances in the game. And so the interesting thing about that is that only four of the first five that they've been in were actually played in Orlando because the very first Citrus Bowl game that the Gators have played in was played right there at Florida Field. In 1973, there was some renovation going on in Orlando, and the game was moved to Gainesville, and I wasn't here then, but in in talking with some people, reminiscing about that game, it was extremely cold that particular day that the game was played in Gainesville. Florida was playing Miami of Ohio, and Miami of Ohio had a young defensive back by the name of Ron Zook, and the Miami of Ohio Redskins, as they were called then, beat the Gators at Florida Field 16-7 in Florida's very first appearance. In, uh, in the Citrus Bowl, which was played right here in Gainesville. The Gators went back in 1980 and beat Maryland, and then in 1997 I uh, was on board to call that game against Penn State, and it's a game that I, I remember vividly because it was during a stretch of games toward the end of that 1997 season that Steve Spurrier was relying very heavily on Fred Taylor to run the ball. His last three games, he rushed for over 600 yards, and in this final game, he rushed for 234 yards against Joe Paterno's Nittany Lions. Uh, carried the ball 43 times, and the Gators won the game 21-6. to So it was a great, great moment there for Fred Taylor. And we're hoping the way Fred has played in Jacksonville uh, in his career, it's been great for Kelvin to play in that stadium in Jacksonville. We're hoping maybe that's the same thing, that Kelvin will have a big game to play in Orlando uh, in the same place where his dad rushed for all those yards back in the 97 game. Uh, the Gators played there a couple of years later in 1999, lost to Michigan State, and it was a heartbreak because Michigan State kicked the winning field goal as time expired in the game. So you think about, ah, that's just a bowl game. But it was one that hurt because we lost 37-34 on the final kick of the game. Travis Taylor was one that had a great game, a receiver. And I remember, again, using the uh, touchdown Taylor made three times. He got three passes in the game. He had 11 catches, about 160 yards receiving. So it was a great day for Travis Taylor in that game that the Gators lost. The opponent for the Gators is Michigan, a team they'll see 
see in the regular season to start 2017. It's the first time they'll play in the regular season. They've already seen each other multiple times in bowl games. And perhaps maybe the third time's the charm for the Gators because they haven't beaten Michigan yet in the two previous bowl games they played. In Ron Zook's first year in 2002, it was a shootout, and it was it was a great game. Michigan won the game. It was 38-30, to the final score. But there were almost somewhere over 900 yards in that game because the Gators had 506 total yards and still got beat 38-30. to Ernest Graham had a big game rushing for the Gators. He had scored two touchdowns and had 120 yards rushing. But that's the game I remember is it going back and forth. And that game, though, wasn't the Citrus Bowl. That was played in Tampa in the Outback Bowl is when we played them. And then we played them again five seasons later in the Citrus Bowl and lost that game in another shootout. It was 41-35, to and that was a big game for Percy Harvin. He rushed for 165 yards. He caught nine balls for 77 more yards, so he did the damage. But the Gator defense just could not stop Michigan. Michigan had like 524 yards of total offense, and and they beat us 41-35. So it's interesting that in those two games against Michigan, there have been a lot of points scored in the game. I wouldn't expect it to be maybe that high-scoring this year, but that's the way it was in those other two losses to Michigan. So that'll be interesting to see them, and you know they travel so well. And of course, this game this year was sold out in a matter of hours. So uh, there'll be a lot of maize and blue in there, but obviously a lot of orange and blue as well. And we're looking forward to being in that renovated Citrus Bowl Stadium to, to see that game. And uh, as you mentioned a little bit ago, this is kind of a prelude to another game that'll open the 2017 season, which is going to be played down at Jerry's World Cowboy Stadium to begin the, the 2017 season. So. At that time, both coaches will be in their third year running their programs. But I think there's some very similar parallels between what is happening at Florida, what is happening in Michigan with these two uh, coaches have had great years. Both Florida and Michigan have had really resurgent seasons under first-year head coaches. We don't want to talk about Michigan's side. Let's talk about Florida and some of your favorite moments from McElwain's first season here. Well, it was just great to see the Gators, especially in the first half of the year when we were still in a lot of exciting moments going on. There was a restoration of confidence from the offense. Will Greer was active at that time, and you could see Will Greer getting better game by game. And obviously, a couple of my most favorable games was in that stretch when he was playing to rally to beat Tennessee. I mean, that that was the game because Tennessee, I'm sure, feels that they had that game won. And uh, the Gators were able to steal it. And then obviously the play that Antonio Callaway made coming over, crossing and getting the ball on the sideline and racing 63 yards and, and really turning it on. I, I really liken that play very much to the one of the earlier podcasts we had this year when I talked about Percy Harvin, when I used the, the phrase, oh, mercy, Percy, when he turned on the Jets in a game early in his career. This is what happened to Antonio Callaway. Uh, we knew he was fast, but when, when he got going, the last 25 yards of that run, it was phenomenal. So that was, that was the great, great moment there for the Gators to win the game, 28-27. As we look back on it, too, think about it. The game is tied at 27-all, and we got to kick the extra point. Eh, ho-hum. It's, it, we didn't think too much about it. But, of course, as the season unfolded, those extra point kicks became a little bit more difficult. But, gosh, if, if we had a great rally like that and failed to make that kick, you know, who knows how that would have come out in an overtime possible situation. Then the following week, you know, the Gators came out, and they weren't flat at all. You think me after a rally like that, uh, would they have anything left in the tank? Well, they came in, and they just totally outplayed Ole Miss. 
And in fact, Will Greer totally outplayed Chad Kelly in that game. We sacked Chad Kelly four times, and Will Greer threw four touchdown passes in that game, and we were up 25 to nothing at the half. And we're sitting there scratching our heads going, oh my goodness. I mean, obviously it wasn't a great night for Ole Miss, but you got to give the Gators credit for that because uh, uh, the, the crowd was alive, the swamp was rocking, and to get off to that start like that and then go up 38 to 3, they scored a touchdown late in the game, made it 38 to 10. So those two weeks in the swamp were clearly, for me, the highlights of, of what's been a great season. Again, uh, we've said before, we figured eight would be a, a nice starting place for Jim McElwain in his first year. And then to sit there and go to 10, and I think there's only about 20 teams right now that have 10 wins. So to have a chance now in this bowl game to win 11 games and go 11 and 3 and do it against a quality program, a legendary traditional program like Michigan, uh, that never gets old. So uh, it's been a phenomenal season, and the way this recruiting is going, it's only going to be a brighter and brighter in the years to come. When looking back on this 10-3 and season, every fan and observer likely has their own perspective on when the momentum started to swing and when it felt like Gator football was back on the map. Whether it was the 61 points scored in the opener against New Mexico State or the Callaway touchdown to extend the streak against Tennessee, you certainly felt the shift at some juncture of the season. But according to defensive lineman Jordan Sherritt, the change really started long before the Gators ever took the field. I'd have to think back. I mean, probably about a year ago just when he came. Uh, you kind of could just tell getting to know the guy, you know, the staff, and just seeing the energy that they brought to our team and how our team changed just within a short month. And then uh, after that, I'd probably have to say the Ole Miss game because, you know, kind of, I mean, as a team, you kind of know going into camp and through practice what kind of team we are. But um, being able to show this great fan base, you know, kind of all the work we put in and, and how this team's changed so much, showing that and giving back to them was, was awesome. You mentioned knowing from the get-go that things are going to get better with Coach Mack. What was it about him and the staff that gave you that feeling? It's hard to pinpoint one thing, but I'd say I mean it brought a positive energy about the program, you know, uh, and a, a big emphasis on the little things. You know, he doesn't let anything go unseen. That's one thing that the coaches preach a lot is you got to take care of the little things to be a successful team, and, and that's what they uh, emphasize a lot. There have been so many injuries in the defensive line throughout this season, yourself included. So what's that been like for that unit, just struggling through constant recycling of guys coming on, coming off the yeah. field? I mean, it's man down, man up. Coach Rum does a great thing of that. And as a defense, we expect no drop off when anybody goes down. So you see Kavanaugh's Davis step up and you know, late in the season, and we're having young guys step into bigger roles with no drop off. And that's just kind of how the expectations are for the defense and how we practice and how we expect to play. So before the Florida Atlantic game, Antonio Riles switched to defensive yeah. line after spending all year on the O-line. What was that like for you guys trying to get him coached up that quickly? Uh, I mean, that's a guy who came in and played defense first. And he's a guy who's you know a student of the game. I mean, he knows both sides of the ball really well. And um, for him to be uh, so selfless that he can come over and help us out for a game, you can get a, a big-time uh, PBU at the line of scrimmage. It's great to see a guy like that, and he works hard. And he, I mean, he knows so much. Now he's back practicing with the offense and calling out our stunts and stuff. So we don't like that too much. But, you know, it's all good fun. I mean, he's a great player and a testament to the coaching staff and to him just what kind of guy he is. It's so tough to play defense these days and be physical within the rules. You got called for targeting earlier this year, and I think a lot of people felt like that was not a good call on you. But what's that challenge like for players, especially on the D-line, trying to be aggressive but also having to hold back to some degree? The game's changing, and uh, you got to play by the rules. So, uh, you know, on that call, I mean, I don't have any specific comments for that, but uh, you got to lower your target, and we got we got to play by the rules, and um, 
we kind of take into consideration. Coaches joke around me a lot, you know, through practice, and they tell me about the target zone about every day. So the game's changing, and, and we have to do a good job of realizing that and, and changing the way we go about hitting. You chose Florida over a lot of really good schools, Stanford, Notre Dame, even Florida State. What was it about Florida that roped you in? Every school you go to doesn't have a great facility, a great you know, stadium, everything, this, that, and the other. But I think it's just the people that are around this, this organization, you know, being from the state of Florida, just being able to play in the SEC, getting great education here, it's, I mean, it's hard to match that. You know, it's, um, it's just been a dream come true. I, mean, I, I never, never thought twice about this decision, and every Saturday I come around, I tell them there's nothing else like it. Being a Hillsborough County guy, I know you're tight with Vernon Hargraves. What's it like for you seeing him now, all the success that he's achieved, and now preparing to go to the NFL? That's just the fruits of his labor. I mean, that, that's a guy who, uh, you know, there's not too many guys I've ever seen work as hard as he has, and who just loves the game like he does. So, uh, you know, it, it's funny, man. We, a few years ago, we were just talking, uh, you know, after high school, and seeing him, like, realize his dream and be able to, to do the things he has is, is unbelievable. And, uh, I mean, we still have a great relationship and definitely going to keep in touch. We're sitting in the south end zone right now. It's very quiet here. The chairbacks are gone. There's not going to be a game played here for a really long time. What's it like for the players? It's such a grind for 12 weeks of the season, and then it just stops. I mean, most guys, you know, you kind of you get start, start getting to the end of the season. Like, man, this thing's it's pretty it's pretty grueling, man. Like, you need a week off and, you know, you need some time. And then when you really you get some time and um, you really don't know what to do with yourself. If you're not practicing for a few days or around these guys or, you know, getting able to, to play in front of these these uh, these students here, you kind of don't know what to do with yourself so you know we're definitely going to miss it and that's what kind of makes us work harder you know going into spring and the winter workouts and sometimes we even come out here and just sit and just just you know reflect you know it's a the blessing to be able to play on this field and we're definitely looking forward to coming back in uh, 2016 the right way for fans this is now the recruiting season i'm curious how much do the players follow recruiting and the guys coming in that are signing with, with the program i follow and i think the, the, the job that coach mack and the rest of the coaches have done has been excellent i mean i've been around for the recruiting weekends and met some of the guys they're, they're definitely trying to bring in high caliber guys. I think they're just adding to the culture that we already have started to establish here. Coaches talk so much about the importance of the bowl practices, especially for the younger players. How critical are these few weeks here to get those guys up to speed and get everybody a few more reps? Oh, it's big. I mean, uh, throughout the season, those guys don't really get the same type of reps. You know, it's whether it be like on a scout team or something like that, but kind of getting them uh, kind of the same attention and the same um, practice flow, kind of like camp where everybody gets the same type of reps and it's slower pace so the younger guys get to learn more. That's big. I mean, you're going to see guys like uh, Jabari Zuniga, who's the last few days been like jumping off the, you know, the sheets and practicing very well, very fast. So, I mean, if guys like that, game's starting to slow down for them. You can kind of tell. Combination with that and with Coach Ken in the weight room, I mean, the sky's the limit for our young guys. And I think with Coach Rump coaching us, I mean, the potential's uh, unlimited right there. The bowl game is not just a game. It's a whole week. It's an experience. What is that like for the players? Uh, I mean, it's great. Getting the opportunity just to have another game with uh, our seniors and the guys who are declaring early, it's awesome. You know, um, sometimes you don't realize that it's more than just a game but when those guys leave some of those guys you might not see you know so it's a good opportunity to not only go get one last win for these seniors but be able to spend some time and kind of you know have fun while we're there favorite tourist attraction in orlando i think i'd say universal islands of adventure one of the two the ones with the, the hulk that one's pretty sweet yeah so i mean I, I like roller coasters myself final thing for you michigan big matchup two huge programs what's it going to be like when this thing kicks off on new year's day oh man it's going to be good uh, i mean we're two teams that match up very well you know with both two big physical teams and uh we've had a great history of having great games against each other i mean they're a, a big physical team that you know great offensive line so that's uh winning the game up front for us and um offensively the same thing goes for them and you know i think it's gonna be a great matchup and uh i think we should be able to pull this one out Florida and Michigan are two of the biggest names in college football, so it's certainly a treat to see a matchup like this during bowl season. 
But if you go a step further, there are also tons of similarities between the two programs and where they stand right now. FloridaGators.com senior writer Scott Carter laid out the tale of the tape between the Gators and the Wolverines. Michigan's a team that uh, you know lost to Ohio State, got beat handily to close the regular season. Florida obviously uh, lost their last two games uh, to Florida State at home and then to Alabama in the SEC championship game. So you know this is an opportunity for two programs, two traditional powers that had kind of hit some hard times that led to coaching changes after last season. Both did better, I think, than expected in most people's view in uh, this season under uh, first-year coaches Jim McElwain at Florida, Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, and. Uh, here they are. They're matched up in the Citrus Bowl together, and it's a chance for each program to kind of finish the first season under a new coach on a high note and build some momentum going into the recruiting season. I mean, coaches always talk about, you know, what what's the bowl game? What do you want to get out of it? Obviously, you want to win the game, but more so than that, it's really a big chance to build momentum get a lot of experience for younger players who you're going to be counting on more the following season. And that's something that both teams will look for. And mostly just to feel good about a win and finish up a season. And, and when you, these two programs, both traditional powers, it's a really, really good matchup. You saw that and how quickly the game sold out. I mean, Michigan-Florida has some uh, drawing power. It's going to get good TV ratings. So it's a big game to play in for these players and coaches. For Florida, it'll be a month since we've seen this team play, so some things change with injuries, with personnel. What are your expectations for what the bowl version of Florida will look like? They took some time off after the loss to Alabama, and when they returned to practice, they were relatively healthy, which is a good way to enter the bowl season, obviously. Beyond that, it's a broken record about the offense. That's going to be a point of emphasis. These guys will have some extra time to work on that offense, whether that means some new plays for Treon Harris, kind of reestablishing a Taylor in the run game. He went into the Alabama game, Adam, needing 23 yards to reach 1,000. He only got eight. He still needs a few more yards. So that just shows you a part of how the offense really did struggle in that game. I mean, in the second and third quarters, they gained three yards. Alabama rolled up 308. It's not going to win you many games. And that is obviously something that they want to work on. And, you know, we did see a little bit of life there late with uh, Treon Harris in the deep game. He hit C.J. Wharton for a long touchdown pass. You know, that brought them within uh, 14 points there with about five minutes left. And C.J. Wharton is a guy that we've heard a lot about in his time at Florida, but we really haven't seen much of him. So maybe we see more guys like C.J. Wharton, younger players, Jordan Conkright in the run game. If the coaching staff had some questions about guys offensively, maybe they'll give them some more practice time here and maybe give them a better opportunity in the bowl game because those are the guys that you're going into next season with. Looking specifically at Michigan, it's a team that's known like Florida for their defense, and that's really where it starts and ends with the Wolverines. Jim Harbaugh is a former quarterback and an offensive-minded guy, but in his first season, he turned around the program. They went 9-3, and three, and it was really the defense that was the calling card. At one point during the season, Michigan pitched three consecutive shutouts. That's hard to do in this day and age. You know, they got some good players in the secondary. Jabril Peppers gets a lot of attention. He's a guy, a very good cover guy a big-time playmaker. Up front, Chris Wormley, uh, he led the team in tackles for loss. Uh, their physical unit, which Michigan usually is, 
like to play a 3-4, so a little bit of a different look maybe to Florida's defense, but they entered the final regular season game against Ohio State. They were ranked second nationally in a scoring defense under 15 points a game, and Ohio State had some success, uh, scored 42 points, but Ohio State does that against a lot of opponents, but Michigan overall, they won a lot of games this year by their defense. Their offense isn't necessarily going to blow you out, but uh, it is a kind of a similar setup than Florida. I mean, this Gators team, well, we've seen their offense have their moments, but most of the time when Florida wins a game it's going to be because of that defense just containing the damage and giving the offense room to breathe and get a point here and there you win the game so I think it could be a defensive showdown Adam it's going to be interesting to see if either offense can get cranked up in this Citrus Bowl. The nature of the beast in college football it's always about what's the future what's next year people are talking a lot about recruiting and also the early entries which guys are leaving for the NFL draft which guys are staying and Gator fans are really curious because there's a lot of players that fall into that category of could go and could stay 50-50. couple guys who are high on the list potentially to come out. Keanu Neal, safety, a very physical player, had a good year. Marcus May, another safety in that defense, a physical player. Uh, made some big plays this year, forced four fumbles. and He seemed to always be around the ball, had his best season at Florida. Jerry Davis, the linebacker, who said he's staying. So that's good news for Florida fans because... Really, I thought Jerry Davis set the tone for this defense several games. In my opinion, he's the most improved player on the team, certainly on the defense. And the, if he does hold to that and does come back, that's going to be big for Florida. One thing that Jim McElwain spoke about recently, they know that a lot of these guys are going through this process. you got to be careful who you're listening to as a young player. So Florida is trying to give these guys good information, true evaluations. But that's something that these coaches face year in and year out at this time of year. But Florida, no different than most years, they have several guys who are looking to potentially go that route. And that's going to do it for our final podcast of 2015. You can see the Buffalo Wild Wings Citrus Bowl at 1 o'clock on New Year's Day on ABC and listen live on the Gator IMG Sports Network. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to Gator Tales on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher and make sure to check out our next episode on Thursday, January 7th, when we dive headfirst back into basketball to kick off 2016. In the meantime, I'm Adam Schick, wishing you a safe and happy new year.